Hello and welcome to Running on Joy with Francesca Goodwin, the podcast that celebrates putting one foot in front of the other in whatever form that takes. This is a podcast that explores how we can live in a more connected, creative and compassionate manner for the benefit of our communities, our planet and our own mental and physical health. I'm your host, Francesca Goodwin, and every week I'll be asking a new interviewee what joy means to them. Running on Joy is ad-free, but if you enjoy the show, please do take a moment to leave a review and give feedback wherever you listen to your podcasts. You might also consider supporting the work of Running on Joy guest Dan Lawson through rubbish shoes and rerun clothing to end the cycle of wastage in the sports clothing and footwear industries. Follow at Rubbish Shoes and at Rerun.Clothing on Instagram for further information. Hello everyone. I can't believe that we're on episode 27 already and I have such a treat today. My guest has built their career around sneaking improbable lines down the sheerest mountain faces and their career as a big mountain skier. In that time they racked up nearly every accolade possible, not only world titles but also magazine covers and starring roles in adventure movies that would typically go to men. In 2021, however, they turned their back on their professional career and instead jumped on a 40-foot sailboat named Sea Bear to embark on a transatlantic crossing. They have overcome a lot of mountains in their life, both on and off the ski slopes, but this latest plunge into the unknown has taken new levels of courage. And I am delighted to now invite them to introduce themselves very much in the manner that they identify. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it's a kind of a funny time in my life. Um, I don't really have a canned intro for myself anymore. I used to be a professional skier. I wouldn't call myself a sailor now, but often, yeah, my name's Angel Collinson. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. I now, as you mentioned, I'm living aboard a 40-foot sailboat and kind of just exploring the world and myself and figuring out what's next. I'm kind of existing, learning a lot about the ocean and just in the liminal space of um, curiosity and not knowing. And yeah, exploration has kind of been the theme. So that's yeah. such an amazing place to be in. I'm just going to ask a visual question, actually. Is that the wild unknown um, guidance cards behind you? Is yeah. that a pack? Yeah, yeah. I've got a <laughs> the, this whole row right behind me is tarot. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, oracle decks, yeah. Yeah, I have I have the same oracle deck. <laughs> and I, it's like, oh. so good. It's one of my faves. <laughs> Where have I seen that before? And I thought, oh, that's it. Trying to do so for the illustration. <laughs> um, yeah, that's nice such one. a lovely description that you gave of kind of being in this of this liminal space at the moment and literally at the moment floating in, in your boat <laughs> in Panama. Um, I yeah. just wanted to give a little bit of context to you um, and your journey up to up to these big changes that, that have taken place. Um, so what was growing up like for you? Yeah, I had um, an unusual childhood, I would say. I guess my whole life has sort of been not like the normal life. Um, 
as I'm noticing the theme as I've been in these periods of self-reflection and I look back and like, Oh, intensity has always been there ever since I was a kid. Um, I've kind of continued that in my own ways as well, but yeah, I grew up, um, really close with my family. We didn't make a lot of money, but we lived at a ski resort. And so our lives were just interwoven with skiing since before I can remember. And so we'd ski in the winters. And then on the last day of school, as we were getting out for our summer break, my dad would come and mom, they'd come to school in our blue van that we would live out of in the summers. And so we would use it as a little hub and we would travel around the whole western part of the United States and backpack in the mountains and spending a lot of time in the high alpine above tree line and um, not a lot of time spent like on trails a lot of time spent sort of navigating through just the wildness of mother nature but in the mountain terrain and so I spent my yeah my childhood like skiing in the mountains in the cold learning all about the you know snow and snowpack and avalanche safety and all of that I was very immersed in it and uh you know got really into alpine ski racing so where you ski around the blue and red gates they've it's a pretty popular one of the more popular disciplines of skiing I would say and so I got really into that and that was most of my childhood was like not not a lot of money but a lot of time in nature we always said we were rich in experiences and I always knew skiing was going to be kind of my ticket out or my ticket into something bigger and it's taken some twists and turns but yeah it eventually led me into like a really successful 10-year career of professional big mountain skiing or it's also known as like extreme skiing and so I spent a lot of my the past 10 years, you know, of flying around in helicopters and filming these big lines in Alaska and the mountains up there. And then I just decided to try something different. <laughs> now I'm learning all about the ocean. <laughs> and it was interesting that we kind of, we, we touched a little bit about uh, tarot because did you, did you feel in that respect that, that skiing was almost kind of predestined for you? That was going to be your path? Did you feel like that was a set direction? Yeah, I always have kind of felt and yeah, I've had this feeling that skiing chose me. Um, Mm -hmm. And in some ways, I guess I chose skiing, but not it was just like that was the life that I was born into. And that was going to be the thing. And it's almost like it chose me. And so very much a part of this new latest iteration in my life has been diving deeply into, okay, well, what is the thing that I truly deeply want to choose for myself? And, um, it's not that skiing was, um, less than because of it, but it also felt like I didn't have the choice. It was already kind of determined for me. Yeah. Cause it was just in, in so many aspects of, of your life, I guess it's less a, less uh kind of uh, uh it being forced upon you it's more that you were so immersed in it that there isn't you yeah. can't kind of see the wood for the trees so to speak right. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I yeah. know you you spoke beautifully about this idea of being kind of rich in experience but do you feel like um skiing becoming so all-encompassing did you sacrifice other areas of your life for it do you think when you were growing up oh definitely yeah, I, I like my deepest desire as a kid was to be normal, which was 
just never going to happen. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, now when we look back on it as adults, we can see how our paths have led us to where we are now and why it's perfect and awesome. Um, but, you know, when you're in it, there's these things. If you want them and you can't have them, it's tough. And for me, actually, like normalcy and fitting in and having friends and sleepovers and like going to the fair or, you know, these different experiences that you just have as kids I didn't really have those and it was hard at the time like Mm -hmm. I wanted more friends I wanted kind of this the child the classic childhood experience so yeah there was times when it was not my uh, yeah not would have been like my choice but my parents were very also passionate about sharing what they loved with us and you know with kids it's like no no kid wants to wake up at 5 a.m and start hiking on a cold trail with like a crumbly bagel and a you know kind of half rotten (laughs) banana because you haven't gone to the grocery store in four weeks but um once we're on once we were out on the trail there's something about nature that's just so good for all of us, you know, and so good for kids. It's so good for adults. And once we were out there as kids, a lot of times, like a lot of the other things would melt away and you could just enjoy what it's like to be in these wild places. And so, yes, now I appreciate the richness and I see how much it's informed my life and my sanity and how, if I'm ever feeling out of whack, I go into nature and it just is like, it resets me. But yeah, it took a, it took some definitely childhood, you know, grappling with the parents for for a long time actually. Because <laughs> I guess the perception of being out in nature and doing outdoor sports and activities is that it it's quite playful. But it sounds like, I mean, were you aware of having to have a kind of quite a strong self talk voice at that age as well to be able to kind of engage with that and get through it and keep pushing forwards on that path when you were having those externalized fights as well? Yeah, I think, you know, a big it's well, you know, as all of us were such a product of our upbringing and of our parents. And so my dad was kind of the force that was, he held these big goals or visions, or this would be so cool. Let's make this happen. And then my mom held the kind of role or the pull of the nurturing and the reinforcing of you know, we're okay. You've got this. Like if we're ever resisting or fearful, she did a really beautiful job of kind of helping us learn that it was completely within our capabilities. So between the two of them, I pushed through things that I, yeah, maybe didn't think I would have been able to. Um, and that really honed a skill, um, for both me and my brother later on in my life where we're like, man, we can actually handle a lot of stuff. Like we can hike really far. We can handle a lot of discomfort or Mm -hmm. thunderstorms or fear or, you know, just all of, all of that, especially in the physical realm. Um, But yeah, lately I've kind of been realizing that as we look into changing our lives drastically or entering in the unknown, it's, it's a similar belief in yourself and a similar self talk, but it also feels a little bit different and like challenging and scary in other ways, you know? 
Yeah, absolutely. Because there's not that space being held for you. You are you are discovering the space and the yeah. fact that it, it's kind of limitless in a way as well. Yeah. And that's yeah, no, yeah, ba- no, no boundaries like, is just I'm on the right path. <laughs> I don't even know what the path is. <laughs> but I guess those skills are kind of useful because you found success at a, a pretty young age, really. And mm-hmm. were you aware of kind of, was there a an external pressure did you feel expect did you have self expectations as well that you had to grapple with yeah i think most of my expectations come from myself like <laughs> i i know within myself and i think so many of us have this like right we know our potential and i'm just yeah a relentless critic if i fall short and so it's been really a lifetime of learning how to manage my own expectations and other other people's are not as much of a um driving force for me yeah it's that case of everyone being like you're fine just as you are and you don't have to do this but you want to anyway yeah yeah you can say what you want but I'm gonna keep pushing myself yeah totally and you talked Uh, about kind of the competition was uh, was that competitiveness or always there and what did competition kind of give you um aside from the enriching experience of being outdoors and connected to nature Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because I don't love competitions, um, Mm. but I do really well under pressure. It's like if something needs to count in a certain moment, I'm good at showing up uh, as best as I can in those moments. Like I've always been really good at taking tests. You know, I compete well because I'm smart too. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't, um, when I was competing and doing really well, I wasn't winning all of it. Like I had a lot of victories for sure on the tour, but part of it was I always skied something that I knew was well within my ability and I never fell. Mm -hmm. So it was actually just in knowing exactly where my limit was and how to ski to that, but not past it so that I would just get consistent results that were good. And that was actually what led to my victory. So there's this element of, um, being put under, not under the knife, but like under, you know, the pressure of what, whether it's competition or these other things that I find for some reason I excel at, um, and I don't love it (laughs) is where I tend to have a lot of success. So I kind of have found myself in these situations and, and thriving under them. Um, I've always just really believed that, well, my, my relationship to skiing or to the things that I do is it's always been that I just want to be as good as I possibly can. Mm -hmm. And I just have stuck with that. And so if I am, if that's my goal and that's my focus and I get recognized or I get accolades or awards for it, like that's awesome. But sometimes even if I win all of the awards, but it, I still feel like it maybe wasn't my best performance or there's more in the tank, like, you know, uh, there's more potential there. I won't be totally satisfied. And I think, you know, a lot of us have know that feeling and but I believe that because I wasn't trying to get an award or I wasn't like, you know, shooting for a results oriented goal, um, that I was able to just trust that 
the doors were going to open, if they were meant to open. And then I've always said, you know, my skiing will speak for itself. If mm-hmm. I just keep working on it, like it'll get me the places that I need to go. And, and I was lucky and it also worked. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And I Does guess that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess that the, the reason for me kind of bringing that idea in at, at this point in the conversation was you talking about that that kind of balance and being in tune with your balance and and that what you've just said kind of validates that idea of you you walking your own line and you knowing what's going to kind of tip you over rather than some kind of external validation of your experience yeah. or what you need to aim for um uh, outside of what you you want or what you want your capabilities to fulfill kind of thing yeah um yeah like because in our sport uh, um you know, the way, so you look at a mountain face, you stand beneath it, um, and you look up at this mountain face and you have to memorize, you have to pick the way that you want to ski down it. And everyone kind of looks at a mountain face differently. So everyone kind of chooses, we call it a line. They choose a different way, a different path down that they want to ski. And some people are really good at going fast. Some people are really good at jumping off of rocks and cliffs. And so you kind of pick a line that is suited to your strengths. And, um, yeah, there's this element of like, uh, choosing a line that, that suits your style and that's risky enough that it will score well or do well or have a wow factor, but also is, you know, something that you can do. And so my goal, well, maybe it was to win sometimes, maybe it'd be like, all right, I want to win this competition. It always was actually about skiing that line as best as I could first, you Mm -hmm. know? And if I felt like I skied that line as best as I possibly could have, and I didn't win, I would have been happier than if I won, but I felt like I just skied it garbage and like, does that make sense? It was always about my performance more than the results. And so I think that that also just helped me because we always have more control over how we perform than how we place, at least for, you know, subjective sports. So no, that makes complete sense. And do you think some of that is about, um, I know that you've, you, that you did use and still use a lot of your publicity, um, to advocate for environmental causes. And did you find that with mm-hmm. your performance on the mountains as well, was there a sense of, um, of kind of being in tune with your environment lending you, um, advantage as well in terms of that kind of reciprocal relationship with the natural world? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm, I love that. Yeah, I definitely think that, well, it's always been a really important part of it to me, like, especially when we're up in Alaska, and you know, you're standing on top of really big and daunting, scary lines. It can be kind of you can get lost in, okay, like I have to do this perfectly or or else, you know, the consequences are I could get hurt or worse. And so you get really kind of zero or like laser focused on the Mm -hmm. task at hand. And actually what always helped me deal with it was to like take a step back and zoom out and look at where I am and be like, wow, what a cool place on the planet or what an amazing planet that we get to live on like what glaciers and mountains and snow and like everything is diamonds and the colors are so cool and really connecting um to the earth in that way was always so helpful and so grounding and um, yeah yeah it's um it's was such an important part um and it was always the most helpful for 
reorienting myself into anchoring into like, why am I here and what actually matters and what's real. And yeah, it's always, it's always been so special. And especially in the moments when I'm dealing with a lot of fear, like zooming out and connecting to the environment around me is my favorite thing to do. Yeah, I was going to say whether that because you do have such a kind of calm demeanor and whether that fed into kind of your your sense of trust in yourself and your own judgment. Yeah, there's like a, a, well, it's, you know, trust is two parts, right? There's like the trust in yourself and your self-awareness and that you've prepared correctly, that you've done everything you can up to that moment. Trust in your ability to navigate unforeseen, you know, little things as they come up during your run. Um, But then there's also the trust in the unknown and the trust Mm -hmm. that if you fall, like you're going to be okay. Or even if you get hurt, that you're going to be okay. And often actually what I found found was helpful was going through like worst case scenarios and trusting that even if those things happened, I would still be okay. Um, and so there's like, you know, trusting that no matter what I'll be, I'll be fine. Like I'm held by life is kind of my, was the, is always the mantra. And so it's both, right. It's like trusting that I've done everything I can and I've got myself. And then also trusting that I'm held in the bigger ways. And even if something bad happens, that it's still going to be okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's such a reassuring and lovely mantra as well. Like I I am held. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I can imagine that that kind of makes you feel a lot less alone when, when tackling those really daunting challenges. And I know that it, it is although you've you've had this um incredible co- connection to nature it is on the mountainside where you've also suffered deeply and, and lost as well um mm-hmm. I know that you lost your first boyfriend Ryan to to a mm-hmm. crash on the mountain and I was wondering if you're okay to talk about it like if that's a loss that you still carry with you and how it affected you then too yeah um yeah, so when I was 20, my boyfriend Ryan Hawks died actually in a competition that we were at. He landed on, he went off a big cliff and he landed on some rocks that were under the snow and ended up dying later from internal injuries. And that was my first encounter, like close encounter with death. And I was there when he died and it's, it was a lot right it was like obviously makes you question you know do I want to keep doing this what am I doing it for how do I want to live what's my relationship to my life right like all of it all the big questions come up and at what it has ended up happening while it's death is so hard it also it was so beautiful like it was tragic and it was beautiful and through his passing like I learned so much about myself and life and the way that I want to live and my why for it all right Mm -hmm. and that I think is is such a gift and so I would still I mean grief is so weird there's no like timeline it's different for all of us and when we lose someone how we make sense of it we all it's different And, but I think what was so beautiful was actually taking the fear away from looking at death or looking at my own mortality and really just asking the important questions of, of like, how do I make my time here the best that it possibly can be? And what did I learn from him? And what did he show me? And 
he really opened the doors to my spirituality as well. Like I started having these crazy experiences that like, just you could not explain. Right. But I'm like, Oh, that's Ryan. <laughs> like he's saying <laughs> hi or, you know, and so it's, um, I would say I definitely carry it with me still, but I don't carry the grief anymore. Mm-hmm. I actually carry these, uh, beautiful, like very, very profoundly shaping lessons and, um, sometimes like right after he died, I used to ask him for, I know it sounds petty, but I used to ask him for four leaf clovers and shooting stars. And so now every time I see one, I'm like, hi, Ryan. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's, it ended up being such a shaping experience, right? As all of our hardest ones are. And then it's like, how do you, you know, transmute the poison of the challenge into the fodder for your growth, you know? So, and he just was such a great example in the way that he lived. And so whenever I was like trying to find my way in the mess of it all, when I was depressed afterwards, the question that I just always got to ask, which is always so helpful was like, what would Ryan think of me doing X, Y, Z right now? Like, would he want me to be crying on the couch or like, does this feel like it's serving me in my grief or do I actually just need some motion and I need to go skiing and kind of keep the energy moving, you know? So yeah, it was, it was a big learning experience and it was so beautiful. Actually, it was so sad and so hard and so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing and and reflecting on that. And I love the way that you, that you've kind of thought about the idea of yeah a door closed but then so many doors seem to open as well mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. did do you find that that kind of energy flowed into your relationship with fear in general because I know then kind of your own crash happened in sort of 2019 in Alaska and did you find that the loss of Ryan did that then transform how you how you perceived and approach fear in general in your life yeah i i do for sure right when we have these experiences where we realize like oh we're not invincible shoot now what you, you know there's a level of reality that sets in with any risk that we take right and it might just be like driving in a car right? If a loved one dies in a car crash, you actually realize how dangerous driving really is. So, um, so that was a first component of really realizing like life has risk. This sport has risk. The mountains have risk that you can't possibly plan for, right? There's like, there's an element of planning that you can do. And then there's also an element of chance and accepting that I think was kind of my first grappling with it. Um, and then, you know, being like, yes, life is risky and there's no way to be in complete safety with everything that you do. With that being said, skiing is more risky. Do I still want to do it? Right. And then, and then again, when I had my own like first big fall, then you really are, you're like, Oh yeah, not only is life risky, but actually it can really happen to like me, 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 it gets real personal. Mm. And so I feel like it's kind of, you know, there's like steps along the journey of, of being humbled or having, um, yeah, the, the consequences like come and meet you firsthand. And each time, you know, it's up to, it's like such an individual process of how you want to meet them, how you want to move forward. And, um, each time that I, I met with them, like I really sat with them and really 
was like, okay, is this what I want to do? Is it worth it to me? And, um, I think uh, the one question that I kept getting asked after Ryan died and, you know, in some subsequent events, it was like, well, is, you know, is this worth dying for? Mm. And, and I've sat with that a lot and I just realized like, it was just not the right question because it's not that we're willing to die for the sport. It's actually that it's what gives us the most life Mm. and it's like worth living for and really makes us live. And that that is the important component. And that was true for me. And so that was why I wanted to keep doing it. Yeah, it's like that. Um, Mary, I've mentioned Mary Oliver in a previous interview, but I do love her poetry and that idea of what, will you, so <laughs> what will you do with this one precious life? But it's precious because, yeah, there's the, there's the risk and there's the fear and the potential of losing it. But what are we going to live for? And I think that's that's a really interesting way of reframing it rather than that constant, oh, is it worth this? Is it worth that? Well, it's worth life <laughs> therefore right. therefore we right. jump into it <laughs> and I guess totally. I kind of wanted to come to this idea of a fear because as we've been reflecting on kind of fear can, is generally kind of circles around this idea of the unknown so for me as I kind of alluded to in my introduction one of the <laughs> scariest things that, that you're doing right now is is this kind of this this change um this um this motion away and, and and quitting skiing i guess in in a professional capacity um and that's kind of what you from an early age as we've seen kind of constructed your identity around um so i'm interested kind of what finally tip the scales because I know that you kind of like soft quit at one point before you went to before you went to college and um, and how did you know that this time it was different mm. I just knew it in my body like with every fiber of my being I was just I was encountering so much resistance even just the thought of doing it anymore felt unbearable. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of shame around it because I'm like, why does this feel so dramatic? Like, why can't I just, you know, keep milking it or, you know, keeping this life of skiing going in a certain way that I can taper off or that works for me. But man, sometimes when we're done, we just really know it. And, um, it doesn't always make sense and not all of the the ways that we feel about it makes sense. And so I just was like, all right, well, I got to figure out how I'm going to do this exit now. But the knowing that I was so done and it was so clear, it was actually really beautiful to have the clarity because I was kind of ready to be done for a while with my career. Like it wasn't fulfilling me in the ways that I was craving in life. Like it didn't feel meaningful. It didn't actually feel like I was contributing to a sense of, I don't know, giving back to the world. It didn't feel like that to me. And I wanted to find something that, that gave me that feeling and skiing wasn't it. And so I was like, okay, shoot. Well, (laughs) um, how do I make this, you know, change? And it was a multi-step process. I think when we look outside at people's lives and it seems like there's these clear delineations in other people's chapters like boom they quit their job or boom they moved to that place or you know boom this happened but you know our internal landscape there's a lot going on behind the scenes and so there was this moment when I my body would like would not leave my house to go skiing the next day and I was like Mm -hmm. all right well this is clear okay now I gotta figure out what to do with it 
So, you know, I had my own process. I ended up going to Mexico with some girlfriends and just getting totally out of the, you know, normal life and getting some good counsel and, um, figuring out, yeah, like how, how do I move forward in this? But it was, there was many steps along the way. And I still, I wouldn't say that I am like totally comfortable in the unknown or like, it's cool. I've (laughs) cultivated this beautiful relationship with it. Like, no, it pains me so often, you know, and every few weeks or every month, I'll just, I'll have like a grappling with it that is just so uncomfortable and so painful and it doesn't go away. Um, but I also am just learning how to discern in me, like what is my truth? Um, does this feel correct? Does this not feel correct? Like, am I a yes to this thing? Am I a no to this thing? And so it's like a slow way of pathfinding into the future, but that's, like those are the questions that I ask and um, I let that be enough to guide my life. And I would love to have, you know, the next five years laid out and <laughs> total plan in place, but that's just not, I'm also so clear that that's not the move right now. And also something that I regularly ask myself that's helpful it is like, what is the medicine of this moment? Like, what am I actually supposed to be learning right now? What am I supposed to be learning from this experience Um, and that's always helpful because it gives me something to mm, kind of orient around in, well, I may not know what I'm doing. Uh, I know that sailing isn't the answer, but I definitely know that this lifestyle and this chapter is going to be one that I look back on forever. And I'm so stoked I did it. So what do I want to be getting out of it? You know, is it like making sure I'm in the water every day and, learning as much about free diving and about ocean ecosystems is it really cherishing freedom and learning how to be super super present to everything even if things aren't going the way I want to and the boat's breaking and we can't get the anchor up or you know whatever it is am I learning how to be present am I learning how to cook and nourish myself better or so it's like all of these kind of changing little points of knowing that I'm culminating things that are changing me and I don't have to know all of what they are, but asking questions every so often about what they might be is helpful. So well, it sounds yeah, like that was a long winded answer to say, I have no idea what I'm doing <laughs> and I'm trying to make it meaningful. <laughs> no, but it comes back to the idea of like embodiment and kind of coming back to yourself. And I think so often we think that, mm-hmm. Oh, when we mm-hmm. find our true selves, like then it will be almost like a replacement for all those external things that we've held our identity and as I said like constructed our identity around that aren't really us but what we sometimes fail to recognize is that identity and ourselves are really messy (laughs) bodies are messy and so being able to like hold that and be with that and be okay with that it's not going to be like a a clean cut okay right now I know what I'm doing because I'm true to myself it's like well no there's all of this like (laughs) this stuff and like I no longer have I imagine that it must feel like so much loss in terms of like well haven't got like the same sponsors or the career path or maybe the followers or the life that are kind of giving me that sort of very secure validation of who I am as a skier I'm Angel Collinson Mm -hmm. but actually Mm -hmm. I'm me and 
I, I don't know what that is. It might just, it might be cooking one day, as you say, or swimming the next. And that's, that's okay. It doesn't have to be a, okay, well, now I'm going to go and do this. And I'm going to be famous for that. And everyone's going to like, give me a pat on the back for that. It's not about that, is it? And that's, that's tougher. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, so I totally get that it is in, it is embodied, but your your body and yourself aren't always going to just point the compass in the right direction. Really, totally. Well, and it's just like it always comes back to our relationship with ourselves, you know, and, and like how do we relate to ourselves? Who do we relate ourselves to be? And if we're always identifying with the things that we do, um, you know, you realize that it's actually that's not quite that's not quite it. Like you realize that if you ever have, you know, suffered an injury where you can't do your sport for a long period of time, right. You encounter like a bit of an identity, small identity crisis, sometimes not not so small identity crisis, depending on, on how it goes, you know, but you start to realize like, okay, actually I'm not the things that I do. I'm not what I, I'm not my sport. I'm not what I do for work. Um, I'm not defined by, that I'm a wife or a daughter or a sister, like, yes, we are all of those things. And it's not just that, like, we're so complex. And at the heart of it all, it's like, how do I relate to myself? And what are the things that I want to learn about myself or cultivate or allow myself? Like, do I want to give myself opportunities that I've never been able to do? And so it's really just like navigating that. um, That's cool. And also challenging, because I think we we crave, um, we crave clear definitions, right? Oh, I'm an artist. Oh, I'm a creative. Oh, I'm an athlete. Um, oh, I'm a mother. Right. And it's like, it's beautiful until you realize like, if you're not just that, and actually a lot of those things can be taken from you. So you're more than that and you're deeper. Um, so yeah, when I kind of said earlier in the podcast, the, the thing about exploration, like it's, it's tangible exploration. It's also very intangible. And the exploration of the self is so interesting and vast. And, you know, like the Buddhist monks who have meditated for their entire lifetime and, you know, the tradition of thousands of years, it's like the exploration of the internal self is infinite. Mm -hmm. And what are we truly is, you know, a question that's plagued humanity (laughs) since we became aware of ourselves probably. So it's just so it's super fun and it's super fascinating. And the, I really do believe that when we experience pain and suffering is when we're holding on to something that we're attached to too tightly. And we think we can feel it slipping, right? Like mm. my ski career or my identity as like a cool skier, right? <laughs> when all of a sudden now I'm not a skier and I'm just, re- I'm just, who am I now? You know, holding on to a part of it that I no longer get to keep anymore. It's, it causes me pain. And as soon as I can be like, okay, you know what, actually, I don't have to be so attached to feeling like a cool skier. Like I'm actually just worthy anyways, or, um, yeah, all, all of the iterations, like being attached to things going a certain way or to accomplishing a goal or a dream. Like I've had to really learn, like, oh, it's so good to shoot for things and to have these visions. And what I've experienced lately in my life is like a lot of times if we're paying attention and following our truth, like the dream will change. 
the dream of our life will change. The dream of our career will change. Like Pete and I had this dream of the sailboat and of sailing around the world and a couple specific missions we wanted to do. And that's changed and letting those change instead of being like, no, at all costs, we're going to (laughs) go do this one thing in the South Pacific. Like that's not our truth anymore. But letting go of that, you know, is hard because I'm like, well, what am I just going to give up on sailing now? Like I'm, I'm, I quit skiing and I'm quitting sailing, like, but all my chips are on the table. Am I a failure? Yeah. Basically all of that to say, like, really, I just so feel the truth of when we get so attached to something and then that gets taken away or we look at maybe it's not serving us anymore. Like that is where the real struggle comes from. And when I can remember that it's about the attachment and I just let it go a little easier, then my life has been serving me better. And I guess it's giving up that sense of mastery as well, isn't it? That can turn yeah. something that you love into into a job, which I can imagine that sort of that kind of became with your big mountain skiing as well. And actually then being humble enough to kind of go away and be a student of something, you know, it's a student <laughs> of life and a learning process that you don't have mastery over. Do you think that's what kind of also differentiates your experience now from the day-to-day of what your your life had kind of become in conjunction with skiing. Yeah, that's such a great point because that was a big struggle at first. You know, when you, in order to reach mastery, I feel like for most things, it comes at the cost or the sacrifice of many other things, right? So you can be singularly focused and really good at this one thing. And so on the flip side of that, it means you're probably really not experienced with a lot of other things, right? Like I definitely am not a jack of all trades, master of none kind of person. Mm -hmm. I put all of my childhood years and practice into skiing and so I suck so bad at surfing I'm not a great swimmer I really don't love the learning process because I haven't had to do it much right it's such an ego blow like I've existed so much in something that I'm super proficient at like you said and so now like learning how to do all of these other things and being a complete novice and um just honestly like getting my stuff handed to me, like getting absolutely rocked by the ocean or it's tough. And my boyfriend has a totally different approach. He's like, being a beginner is the best because you're just learning and you're making like big improvements all the time. And I'm like, yeah, but you're not good, which is, (laughs) I just love I love being good at things, like not from an egoic standpoint, but I love the feeling of doing something really proficiently. Like, you know, when you start to get fluent in a foreign language and just the ease that comes Mm -hmm. and sort of that, that, that feeling of proficiency, like, I love that. So not having that and being so far away from it in literally everything is just a constantly humbling process. Yeah, it's that ease of something. And I I found that sort of coming back from from injury as you were talking about, like, and you're suddenly like, oh, something that I used to find really easy is just not easy anymore. And I really, I have to work at it. And and that work is, you do have to kind of keep pushing, pushing forwards and and being okay with not being good. (laughs) And being all right with it. And I imagine that also in kind of 
breaking free um, from your previous expectations of yourself, um, you've kind of found a new voice as well. And did that take a kind of period of transition in terms of finding that voice, how it was different, maybe how it's changed and kind of being okay with it and how you sit with it? Mm. Well, that's an interesting question. I guess I don't really know the answer because it's sort of like as you're going through your life, you know, you're five years old, it's your first day of school, you're learning how to read and you have a crush on the boy that sits at the desk next to you. And, and, you know, then you're in, you know, then you're 10 years old and you have this one teacher you don't like. And as you're going along, you, you can't really see yourself change. You can like look back and be like, oh, I used to be this way or I used to speak that way or I used to hang out with these people. But when you're in it, you don't quite have the same like clarity. And, and so I feel like I'm not quite sure yet how my voice has changed mm-hmm. because I'm still in it. And, um, what I've always felt is that, you know, when social media started, I'd already kind of had a career as a sponsored athlete working with brands and companies before Instagram was the thing. Mm-hmm. And then once social media really started to take off, it kind of changed even your duties as an athlete, like you have to post a certain amount of times per month for each sponsor. And if they have a brand campaign with slogans, like you have to post about it. And, and so I bring this up because I think it's something that we all deal with now having to be on social media and being like, well, what is my voice? What's important? What do I want to share? How do I want to come across? Um, way early on, I was like, the only way that I'm going to be able to do this and for it to feel okay and for it to make sense is if I just share what I feel and what I'm going through as best as I can as I'm moving along and to not say stuff that doesn't feel good or that doesn't feel true. And, um, that's kind of been my guiding post is like, I'm just going to try and be as authentic as I possibly can. So, yeah, I actually don't know how my voice has changed other than I hope it is speaking to or from the places in which I'm organically changing. And I guess it's difficult as well. And again, a question of that sort of fear and and the unknown, suddenly being able to say anything or feeling like you have so much to say. Yeah, I would imagine it's kind of like, and suddenly I have nothing to say, because I have so much to say, and so much to share and all these feelings and things. And I don't quite know what that voice is, or how I'm going to vocalize it. And oh, I can't. I I can't say anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Like para- the freedom is paralyzing. Uh, yeah, it does. Yeah, it felt really liberating actually when all of my contracts were done, and I was like, my voice is my own. I don't have to say or post anything if I don't want to. And and that was such a cool moment to be like, wow, I. I can say whatever I want and the only thing it affects is me and it doesn't affect my, you know, job or my paychecks coming from these companies. Like if I want to take a really strong stance on an issue that like I can now without it affecting anyone but me. So that was really cool. And also it's 
kind of made me realize like social media is so interesting and so funny in that we feel like we need to be kind of constantly sharing our lives. And if we're not, then we're not serving our business or, you know, we're not providing a platform for future growth. Like it's kind of so integrated into our lives, but you know, I have this experience on the boat where I'm like, I should be sharing everything that I'm seeing. Like, it's all so cool. And like, I just have these really beautiful experiences that other people would love, but I kind of like, I want to hold them close also. Like I want to keep it for me. And, um, it's so interesting that experience of when you're actually so present to the people in your life and the experiences that you're having, um, you just like, you really remember, right. Our phones actually don't matter. Like our social media accounts actually don't really matter. Like, do they have real consequences if we use them well or if we don't? Sure. But like, they're not, they don't like, they're not our flesh and blood. They're not our loved ones. Like they're not. And so that has been helpful to be like, yes, I should be posting more. And also just really experiencing this one life in the flesh and blood and dancing and sweating and swimming and like doing all of that does not require me to post on social media. And so for now I'm just like, screw it. Like social media can (laughs) suck it for this chapter. And yeah, I'll get a bunch of cool photos. And if I want to story tell later on, I will, but that's my current sort of, uh, relationship with it. If that was, was not super coherent, it was kind of a ramble, but yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it does make me reflect that actually real freedom speaks with a quiet voice because we no longer have to shout anymore. Like we did, we're we're done with our shouting. We don't need to. So we, when we kind of come back to ourselves, that can be just in silence and quiet (laughs) yeah and yes because that kind of makes me think of something I've been thinking of a lot is that I think in this uh, expectation now that all of us have of needing to share our progress um, what we forget is that people will feel it like if you have changed and you just show up as you, the new embodied version of you, the way that you carry yourself, your facial expression, like it's felt, it's noticed. Mm -hmm. And so being present for the change is so important and it's more important to be present for the change than it is to share every part of it. And, or that's at least how I feel. And that's what I've been thinking of and really letting myself be changed by the process, knowing that whatever it is that I need to have this change serve me in the future and how I'm understood or perceived or whatever, like that'll be there without me having to try anything or try to like do or say anything about it. Yeah. And I guess it allows that malleability as well. And for, for things to change and circumstances to change away from kind of a set route. And I'm kind of curious because you have alluded to it throughout the conversation that maybe things haven't always been a case of the grass is greener on the other side and that, that plans have changed. And, um, I know that you've kind of shared, you've shared sometimes on social media about the kind of disparity between, between life as it is and what you maybe thought it was going to be. And I'm wondering if you could kind of reflect on some of those, those darker moments, those bits that, that haven't gone to plan and kind of what 
they've meant to you and I know you've kind of been going through a period of re reframing maybe some of those expectations mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. so what have you sort of learned from that process mm-hmm. um well I think it's interesting when we set our sights on something that is a big achievement or a dream or you know when we like give a lot to make something happen. Um, and I think this happens with dreams or relationships or jobs. Like there's an element of pedestalization. Like we put the dream on a pedestal or we put the job on the pedestal or maybe we put the partner on the pedestal. And then once you're actually there and you're living that reality, you're like, Oh, I didn't actually anticipate all of the negative components because I was so busy shooting for the positive things, you know? And there's something, it's like how they say, um, you know, you should never meet your heroes. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, because like you'll find out they're human too. And then all the things that you, respected and love them for will be less than and I think as humans that's just something that we do um and so then the reckoning process comes of like how do you deal with it once you maybe realize things the grass isn't greener like you've made this big life change like for me you know I made this big life change I'm gonna sail around the world with my partner right sounds so romantic so many of us Mm -hmm. have this dream of sailing around the world with our partners right and then you get in you get in it and like oh my god it is so much work first of all (laughs) um like you know the boat's always something needs fixing or attention or you know it's steel so it's always rusting like and it's kind of this feeling of never actually being able to feel caught up like you're always feeling behind on taking care of the thing that's keeping you alive and keeping you floating and out of the ocean and um but yeah just that element of when you achieve a dream or when you get there or when you you know get this thing I think it's why people say we're actually more scared of our successes than our failures because we get to the success and it's like, well, now what? And maybe it wasn't as good as you thought it was going to be. Or then you encounter these whole other slew of challenges. And yeah, that's been really tough because I'm like, oh man, I don't love the sailing lifestyle as much as I thought I was going to. And actually the sailing lifestyle is not just you know, chilling on your boat with a martini in turquoise waters while, you know, every life floats you by. It's like, it's so much more than that. It's so much more active engagement. And I was kind of, I don't want to say in denial about it, but it was like, we just had our nose to the grindstone. We made it happen. I put my stuff in storage. I shaped my life around making the sailing dream happen. And then for a while, I kind of wanted to turn a blind eye of this feeling of being like, I don't love this that much. Actually, I I don't even know if I want to keep doing this, Um, but I had so much invested in it. Right. And when we give up our, you know, so much to make something happen, whether it's financial or, you know, completely changing our life around a thing. It feels like failure. If you're like, just kidding. I don't love it. I'm going to try something else. (laughs) You know, there's like this element in me that's like, no, you got to see it through a little bit longer. And so I've been really grappling with, um, is this actually life that I want, like, is this life serving me? Is this the way I want to do it? And it sounds 
uh, well, it is, it's a really privileged problem to have, right? Like I'm so lucky that this is the problem that I'm grappling with. And also it's a universal problem of human existence of like, am I living, am I spending my short time here the way that I want to? And if not, how do I change it? And when we're kind of consistently bumping up against that question in places that we don't expect it, or that we thought we wouldn't have to encounter that question, it brings up just a lot of frustration and self-doubt and questioning of what you're doing and why you're doing it. And well, if this wasn't the thing, then am I just, you know, thinking that my happiness is always around the next corner and I actually need to do some deep self-evaluation, like all that being said, um, there's, there's an element that I've just been sitting with of like, what is failure actually? What is learning actually? And how do we quickly move? How do you discern um, what's just a challenge, like a bump in the road that requires extra attention? And what's a sign that, no, not this, something different. And that can be really tough when you're at a low moment, doubting yourself, out of money, you know, or whatever it is. So. Yeah, I've just been sitting in that. It doesn't feel great. Um, but I also trust myself so deeply. I trust Pete so deeply. It's really tested our partnership. And in mm -hmm. some moments, I'm like, you know, man, I don't even want to be in this partnership. And then in other moments, I'm like, wow, I cannot believe how much we've gone through together. Actually, it's such an achievement. And we are so strong in partnership. And this is a huge test. So, yeah. I don't know. Life is weird and messy. And I think we think that like other people have it figured out, but, but as far as I can tell, no one really has it figured out, including um, me, especially. <laughs> Definitely not. And we just have to be as open with each other as we can, because we are all, mm -hmm. all messy humans. And as you just said, like saying yes to kind of this pathway or, or no pathway in a way was also saying yes to, to your relationship as well and a relationship that's that's played out in a pretty kind of intense <laughs> capacity in, in terms of yeah. fact of what you both jumped into doing and and do you think that that has has led to you evolving as a couple and individually within the relationship as well because the relationship is kind of a, a microcosm through which you can also kind of reflect on yourself I guess as well totally yeah, it's like, um, I, I mean, yeah, this, it's such an intense way to jump into, or not jump in, but to share a partnership, you know, because it's, the boat is 40 feet long, like from tip to tail, right from the stern to the um, bow, but the inside cabin is very, very small. And like you're never more than 20 feet away from the other person and there's no separate rooms. So you're just always with each other. And the ways that, um, yeah, the things that you learn about yourself in that sort of pressure cooker mm -hmm. is so, um, so frustrating sometimes like you see it, at least it's easier for me to see the ways in which I wish I showed up better in my relationship or the ways in which I'm so critical of him that I wish I wasn't and it's a little bit harder but I just have started noticing like oh actually I think a year ago I would have had a 
much bigger reaction to this thing that he did or this mistake that he made or whatever. And actually allowing myself the grace to see how I've been showing up in this relationship and using it as a catalyst for positive growth has just, I'm just starting to actually see that. Um, because at first I was just like, coping and dealing and it was like this beautiful romance it's been this beautiful romance the whole time right and also like just real challenges of dealing with a lot of stress together and ocean crossings and financial stuff and you know it's all of it and the way that I see it it's like we it's just been this um everything that we would have come up against in our partnership and in our lives has like all happened just so much faster. <laughs> like what we've learned about ourselves maybe would have taken 20 years, but like I freaking know Pete so well and he knows <laughs> me so well. And I also know how like I show up in relationship under all different kinds of pressures that maybe would have taken years and years and years. So it's been really beautiful. And I would say overall, it's been so fortifying and I'm so grateful um, because I think it either goes that way or it goes to like quick disintegration and realizing that this is not a good partnership to be in. And it's been the opposite. It's been like, I'm more in love with him than ever. And in a deeper, real way, that's been cool. I'm so, I'm so glad to hear that. And it, like, there's just so, so many bad kind of sailing pun analogies of kind of being an anchor and things that I could go into, but I won't say that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm interested yeah. in it. He's just been the wind in my sails. <laughs> oh, you yeah. went there. You went there. <laughs> <laughs> and having sort of both regrouped, and I know that we've kind of been saying that actually you're you're sort of sitting in a in a space at the moment with yourself and kind of looking at what what failure looks like, what what kind of what life holds for you. Do you have a sense of where? the path is going at the moment this year? So we, I feel like the plan has been kind of changing every like four months maybe, but this past summer I realized at this moment of clarity of that, like, I don't want to live on the boat 12 months of the year. Mm -hmm. And that was how I previously thought about it. I'm like, well, if you're going to be a sailor and you want to sail around the world, like you live on your sailboat and you sail around the world on it, you know, but then something happens and you, you know, you break out of that mental fence and you're like, oh, well actually like we could leave the boat in Baja for eight months. And rent a place on shore and work and make some more money and get a little bit of stability, experience a little bit of spaciousness and ease, be able to like work out and do yoga and stretch a little easier. And then we could come back to the boat in Baja and then we could sail it to the South Pacific. Um, so it's been changing. Um, but our latest, what I also realized was, um, there's like an element of existing in the unknown that is good to push yourself with like, I have no idea what's next, but then it also gets exhausting and it's helpful to kind of pick, like try, try out a guidepost or try out a future thing to orient around. And you can always change your mind if you get there and it doesn't feel good. Right. So my thing was like, my, I really want to find a property to buy. So that's kind of been my mission. I'm like, I'm going to save my money. We're going to travel on the boat. And I just, I'm looking for a 
property to buy somewhere in the tropics where I can have a big garden. And then I was like, well, what if that doesn't happen? Like Mm -hmm. I, what, like, what am I, I'm just holding out for this possibility that's completely outside of my control. Like, not that that's bad, but also I need something for certain. So decided, okay, we're going to go to Colorado for at least six months. We're going to haul sea bear out and I'm going to get some space and some stability, some, I really want to be studying music more right now. That's sort of my like latest curiosity and hobby and passion. So I really want to be able to make time for it. Um, but yeah, like finding a couple plans, soft plans to make that I find to be like super helpful during this time. And like, I know that without trying, it's going to turn into maybe a way of life. Like maybe Pete and I will always spend six months on land and six months on the boat. I don't know, but right now it's just, it's emergent and finding a couple of things of like, okay, what do I need? Well, I need money and I need stability. Okay. How do I make this happen? Like, okay, I'm not going to try and find the ultimate end all be all thing, the most perfect solution. I'm just going to find something that works for right now. So that's where we're at. Getting a little bit of money coming in, getting some stability keeping the dream alive if it still feels true. And and that's as much as I have figured out. (laughs) It it just really beautifully comes back to the idea of it it doesn't have to be all or nothing in one direction or the other. It can be a mixture of things. And it sounds so simple, but like it's something that so many of us are so bad at kind of being okay with. And I think especially if you are someone who kind of pause you're all into everything that can be so positive and do amazing things but it can also be exhausting because like you say if things don't quite work out that way then it's like oh well I can't be that thing anymore because that thing failed and failure is bad rather than seeing it okay we just need to like pivot around this and maybe we can do a bit of this a bit of that and like right right and it requires a lot of flexibility in your thinking which is surprisingly challenging, especially if you're like a really driven person, right? And you're just going for something at, you know, maybe at all costs. It's hard to to dream up different possibilities. Absolutely. <laughs> and I just yeah. have two final questions for you, Angel, just off of the back of that. The first one is who or what continues to inspire you? Mm. Well, I'm, this sounds kind of cheesy, but I'm always so inspired by the resiliency of the earth um, Mm -hmm. and like the intelligence of life itself. Um, Like when I watch the way, like you, you hear all these miraculous stories of the earth's ability to just simply regenerate in a new way under new circumstances. And I really, I love that so much. Um, and because I think one of the things that kills my inspiration is my cynicism of the human race and that, you know, we're messing up our planet and we're so deep in it that there's no way that she's going to be okay. And so where I find inspiration is actually seeing her resilience in all of these places and resilience under new circumstances, not things having to go back to how they were, but working with how they are now. So that's really inspiring for me. I also really, really, a person that's so inspiring to me is Brene Brown. Mm -hmm. 
and just her, like all of her work, but, and especially the work on finding common ground, um, and all of us, you know, belonging in the human race to each other, to like a common thread. Cause I just see so much division in the world that seems insurmountable. And so I love the work that she's doing around that. And I think it's so powerful and it's really motivational for me. Oh, I totally agree. And you talked about being held as being being your mantra. And I feel like Brenny Brown does this amazing kind of space holding for for so many people yeah. um, in terms of having faith in the the compassionate potential of humanity yeah. <laughs> in, yeah. in the face of, as you say, division and, and destruction as well. And, and the connectivity, which I imagine that actually the way that you are kind of itinerant at the moment, being on the boat, being able to see those connections and making connections with different people and communities, I imagine must kind of reinforce that for you, no matter how kind of torn apart, I guess you can sometimes feel as well in terms of where your emotions are going. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and well, and just how, um, like when we, when you actually meet people face to face, even if you don't speak the same language or whatever, we just like, I love her line of, you know, people are hate, hard to hate close up, move in. And when you're actually moved in or you're meeting someone that you might not even be able to talk with, it's like there's still this element when you're in the proximity of somebody else of a different nationality and a different upbringing and different all this, there's still something that you share and there's still a way to relate and you're still on the same team. Like Mm -hmm. they might be trying to help you figure out how to like get to the fish market or whatever. It's like, it's very cool to remember actually that we can all be on the same team. Absolutely. And my final question, Angel, is one that I ask all my guests. um, And it's what does joy mean to you? Mm. Mm. It's such a beautiful question. And also, it's funny, because I think that my answer probably changes throughout my life. Mm. Um, In this, like joy is both um it's like simplicity and freedom and play all together is joy for me and how I currently experience life thank you so much for sharing that and I just send you so much love and and so much joy for for the months ahead and no matter what they what they bring Mm -hmm. thank you so much and yeah, just thanks for the conversation and the opportunity. It's been such a joy talking to you. I am so grateful to the community that is growing around the podcast. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, I would so appreciate if you can share it with your communities and help spread the message of support, perseverance and joy further. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future guests, you can find me on Instagram at running underscore on underscore joy. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time for Running on Joy.